Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything with John Fugelsang. Folks, I am Democratic strategist and SiriusXM contributor Max Burns sitting in for the great John Fugelsang this week. And it is my absolute pleasure to share the next three hours with you. It's Wednesday, August 30th, and Rudy Giuliani just joined Donald Trump in the club of Republican officials found guilty of defamation. We'll be getting to that and, of course, taking your calls all evening long. Join the conversation by giving us a ring at 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. We have Matt Tomasetti, executive producing the show, while our own Chris Hosselt hunkers down from the wind and rain of Hurricane Adalia. Thea Harper producing with us from New York. And I'm coming to you from several stories above the streets of Manhattan, where it is an absolutely beautiful night out. Now, can you guys believe we've already made it halfway through the week already? Man, it does not feel like it. Fortunately, we have a great show lined up for you to get you through those midweek blues. And I am so excited to be chatting with our guest tonight. In the 10 p.m. hour, I'm joined by a guy I used to brawl with constantly in the media, but who is now one of the leading conservative voices against Donald Trump and the MAGA movement. That's former Illinois Congressman and founding Tea Party movement member, Joe Walsh. You know, Joe, I think, is such an interesting guy because to me, he's one of the few Republicans who stood up right at the start and said Donald Trump is going to make a mockery of the party. He's a threat to democracy. And more importantly, he's just an amoral ghoul of a man who shouldn't be within a mile of any kind of political power. And listen, Joe and I still disagree on a lot of stuff, but unlike almost every other Republican out there, He's willing to engage the other side on actual policy issues and have real meaningful conversations. And I think that really matters right now. He's a guy who took an oath to his country and to his constitution. He still thinks that means something. And part of having a functional democracy is talking to people like Joe, finding ways we can work together and meet the challenges of this incredibly, incredibly dangerous moment in our politics. Now, you may disagree with me. And that's fine. I mean, unlike Twitter, I still care about your free speech. 
So you're more than welcome to let me know what you think. That's 866-997-4748. Or you can even call me out in public on Twitter at Burns. just as long as you tell me I'm pretty first. Now, all right, Matt has said I'm only allowed to talk about how pretty I am once an hour. So let's jump into some milestones you might have missed. In old-timey boat news, the Queen Mary won the blue ribbon for the fastest transatlantic crossing on this day in 1936, zipping across the big blue in four days and 27 minutes. That beat the French liner Normandy by nearly a full three hours. But the Queen Mary would hold that record for less than a year before the Normandy took it back. The Queen Mary took it back again in 1938 and held the title until 1952, when the American liner, aptly named the United States, took the prize, becoming the last Blue Ribbon winner in history because America is, as always, the best. And in 1945, the Allies formally took control of Germany through the Allied Control Council, made up of the Soviet Union, the Brits, the French, and the Americans. And as we know from history, all of those allies stayed friends forever and never had another disagreement. Here's a big one. On this day in 1967, the towering legal mind Thurgood Marshall became the first American, African-American justice of the Supreme Court, and he managed to do it without taking millions of dollars from billionaire donors and businesses that have business before the court. Marshall faced down a wave of insulting and bigoted questioning from Southern senators including Mississippi's James Eastland and legendary South Carolina racist Strom Thurmond, who asked Marshall over 60 questions about incredibly specific and obscure constitutional issues, all of which, by the way, Marshall answered correctly. Marshall is remembered today as not just a huge intellect, but as the author of a bunch of iconic court decisions. Well, Strom Thurmond is mainly remembered for lying about having a black son and being a piece of racist garbage. And today in 2021, the last remaining American troops left Afghanistan, ending one of America's longest military conflicts. And despite Republican politicians accusing Joe Biden of cutting and running from the fight, that decision was actually authorized by Donald Trump, even though Donald doesn't seem to want to talk much about it nowadays. All right, enough with the history lesson. Let's jump into some headlines because this has been a crazy, crazy day. I don't know if you guys saw this out of Kentucky, but Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell suffered another serious medical incident that left him unable to speak or move. And it's looking a lot like when McConnell froze up in front of reporters just about a month ago on Capitol Hill in the middle of a press conference. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? Yes. I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. Do you think we're moving towards civil war? There's tremendous passion and there's tremendous love. Uh, you know, January 6th was a very interesting day because they don't report it properly. People that were in that crowd that day, very small group of people, went down there and then you there are a lot of a lot of scenarios that we can talk about but people in that crowd said it was the most beautiful day they've ever experienced there was love in that crowd. there was love and unity i have never seen such spirit and such passion and such love well you know what that's a neurological illness of its own 
But let's let's actually talk about that since it came up, because this is is something that I've been deeply concerned about here. This rhetoric of civil war that the Republicans are going through right now, very openly, that was Donald Trump talking to Tucker Carlson during the Republican debate and essentially saying how beautiful the January 6th insurrection was. Uh, he later went on to say that there was a lot of hate in the crowd, too, but not for the reason you might think, because Trump said the hate was people angry at their government for letting them down. And we see this kind of hate on an almost unending loop on Newsmax, where Sarah Palin said she'd be up for a good old civil war, and on Fox News, where the right-wing victimhood Olympics is always going on. We see it from senators like Rand Paul and Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley, who live in nice gated communities, and they don't mind if their voters go and die in some raid on the Fulton County Jail. Now, this is, is something that came to mind because we were looking at all of the conversations going on in Georgia and these Republican lawmakers who are really unapologetically into the idea of dying for Donald Trump. And speaking of idiots in Georgia, we have some audio on that, too. I've been following the story of local GOP elected official Candace Taylor, who ran unsuccessfully for governor against Brian Kemp. She's fighting mad over Donald Trump being held accountable for his behavior. Now, Taylor was sitting there for an interview at a Mike Lindell election truther event. Wrap your mind around that. When she decided to threaten bloodshed and civil war if Trump was put on trial. Listen to this. This is treason. This is a hijacking of our country. This is war. And I hope and pray it gets resolved before we use guns. I really do. I do not want to see bloodshed in America. But we're at war right now. A war for our freedom. Freedom of speech, which just trampled on in Georgia. We had that DA in Fulton County that just filed 19 indictment, 19 people indictments. She had some of the indictments, people had 10 indictments. So she just filed, filed all these charges on electors, on President Trump, on his attorneys, on innocent people. And if something does not give and the people do not take back control and get these crooked people out, we will be in a very bad war. Man, I, it doesn't get much clearer than that. We're at war now. Now, sometimes I still allow myself to be amazed at just how quickly the GOP went from being this so-called party of law and order into a party that immediately wants to grab their guns and declare war on the United States. I mean, think about how does that work for the South last time? You think Republicans in a state that saw a bunch of its cities burned to the ground would realize you don't really want to pick a fight with the army of the Republic. But again, these aren't going to be the people picking up guns. Or are they? I mean, it isn't just wingnuts like Candace Taylor. Just the other day, we saw a sitting Georgia state senator, and I'll repeat that, a sitting Georgia state senator, Colton Moore, say that he expects Fulton County to drop all charges against Trump unless they want Republicans to start shooting. Listen to this. I, I told one senator, I said, listen, I said, we've got to put our heads together and figure this out. We need to be taking action right now, because if we don't, our constituencies are going to be fighting it in the streets. Do you want a civil war? I don't want a civil war. I don't want to have to draw my rifle. I want to make this problem go away with my legislative means of doing so. And the first step to getting that done is defunding Fonnie Willis of any Georgia tax dollars. Oh, I guess the Republicans are the party of defund the police now. And this isn't just this idiot. These are members of Congress also saying they would like to defund and remove Fonnie Willis from office 
or daring to follow the law and charge a crime. And now they're saying, you know, defund Fonnie Willis or kick her out of her job or they'll just go kill her themselves. And this guy was elected to serve Georgia. This guy swore an oath to the Constitution of Georgia and the Constitution of the United States. But you can tell just from the rhetoric that he's practically itching to find any excuse to incite mob violence. I mean, nothing has changed from January 6th. What worries me is this tendency to treat January 6th as some historical event that happened and is over and several hundred people have gone to jail. It is far from over, friends, and some of the people who are most responsible for inciting it are the people who have so far escaped any accountability for it. And as I mentioned, Tucker brought that up with Donald Trump, but it is still one of the most unnerving things I've ever seen. And I can feel my blood pressure rising. I would continue rambling about this here, but I want to jump to a caller. We have a Lewis in New York who has some thoughts about the way that the media is painting Joe Biden. Lewis, what's on your mind? Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. Good evening. You sound a little bit like uh, Sam. You have the same voice as he is. Uh, very pleasant. Uh, Thank the you. The problem is the media is missing the point. Corporate America are trying to make sure that the economy looks bad while they're gaining a lot of profit, and the media running with that, that nobody's making any inroads. Listen, remember when Trump was there stealing, giving, everything up at the bank was open for all these gangsters. Nothing was said about the economy to going down, if I'm correct, till the last minute, right? So what happened is they did the same thing they did to Jimmy Carter. That's how we got Reagan. They made everything look bad, and the American people, they will sacrifice anything when it comes to money, even if it's their own freedom or their own life, because they've been brainwashed that you never have enough, till that you have enough, but you're still dead when you die because we're not coming back to spend a penny. And when these Republicans speak in the manner that they're speaking, there are some of us who officer when I left. There are some of us, too, who are ready for them to confront them. Not violently, but we confront them as necessary because they think that they're the one who has to control everything. Lastly, I want to say something. You're a very highly qualified man. Do you know that in America, the people who have gained the most from civil rights are white women? What the fuck are white women angry about? Uh, what are they worried about? They ain't corporate America. They're the ones who's at the forefront with those bigots, those white supremacists, and they're angry as hell, and they're the ones also who cause their own rights to be taken away. Kiss my Asian hey, ass, dumbass. Wake up. I, th Shit. I think your point on corporate media is absolutely right, though. I, I, it's, it is almost a systemic effort to not credit Joe Biden for the achievements that he's he's managed. And we see things like with the economy, when the economy is posting record near near all time low unemployment and a huge sustained growth in the economy in Biden's term, more than almost any president in his first term. And yet we only see in headlines that that figures are are not as big as expected, that they didn't do five percent growth. Instead, they did three percent. But we never saw that with Donald Trump. We saw the media go out of their way to try and soften how bad those numbers were for Trump. And this is the so-called liberal media. Excuse me. What about yeah, go ahead. those Republicans? They are so poor corporation, and corporation pretty much putting the plunger up their butts, and yet they're always defending corporation, and they're crying about prices going up. You can't have this both ways, dumbass. Right? Stop spending money on guns. Right? Take lessons in critical thinking, dumbass. All right? We've had enough of your bullshit. 
We're ready for your ass when you come. I'm not talking about violently. We'll beat you intellectually. We'll beat you emotional. We also beat you in collusion forces. We are progressive white. We are Spanish. Unfortunately, those Cubans are hopeless, pointless in Florida. They're long and gone. But they are still also, they have a few dumbass Haitians who escaped Papa Doc and come and join the Republicans. Dumbass? No, mayor, get my man, I say, imbecile. Foot reveillez, caca, bleu pas well. Excuse me, that was my language to them, my message to Haitians. Because I happen to be Haitian Italian. So we have to well, I, I appreciate your call. We're about to jump. We're about to jump to a break, but I do appreciate your call. I think you're right. I mean, Republicans want to turn this into a civil war. They want to just take over the government if they don't win. But Democrats and progressives in this country and independents who are rejecting Republicans, they have something Republicans don't. They have their minds. They have critical thought and they have the vote. And just like in the midterms, when we turned Republicans out there, just like in 2020, when we turned Donald Trump out there, we are going to use that vote, that vote that Republicans hate so much, and we are going to make sure that Republicans stay out of power. Now, we're going to take a quick break so I can let my blood pressure get back to a normal level here. You're listening to Sirius XM Progress. Stick around. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back to Tell Me Everything with me, your humble guest host, Max Burns, sitting in for John. And I am always happy to hear from you. Shoot us a call, 866-997-4748, or hit me up on Twitter at Burns. Now, we got a bunch of people here, and I want to make sure we hear them out. Uh, let's go to Charles. Charles, how are you? Oh, fine. I've been trying to talk to you all week. <laughs> I like what you're doing. Thanks a lot. Welcome. Um, Thank you so much. My question is, is this a First Amendment right thing as well? I mean, you know, you're saying that, I mean, most writers, they're putting, they're, they, you know, they're writing their thoughts out, 
and they're publishing this book on the First Amendment rights as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the First Amendment is is clear, and the court law is clear that it forbids government censorship of books and magazines and newspapers. But hey, since when have Republicans cared what the law said? They're going to take their majorities and do whatever they want with it. Right. Well, we have a right also to, I mean, you know, um, to choose. I mean, they, they shouldn't ban the book. If anything, they should rate the book. They should not have the right to ban the book. Because like I said, that's also suppressing the right as First Amendment right. You know? And um, yeah, I, I, and the- I, I think that's how we should. I, I just think, you know, that's how the Democrats have to attack this. And the, re- the reality is there's no good reason for a book ban. They're, they're doing it because they're terrified of competing in an actual marketplace of ideas. Republican ideas, poll after poll, have shown us are staggeringly unpopular. And the more people get to learn about them, the less they like them. So instead of adopting a platform people actually would vote for, Republicans have decided it's just easier to control what they can learn. And and so far, I mean, the Sixth Circuit was clear that students have a right to receive information, even if that information is upsetting or challenging to Republicans or Democrats or whoever. But we have a very post-law Republican Party right now. And until a court at the federal level actually steps in on this, I don't think anything's going to stop someone like Ron DeSantis. Right. I mean, except for I'm, I'm just surprised that the Democrats, even in, in my state, because I'm, I'm, he's my governor, he's supposed to be my governor, but that we haven't hit him with the lawsuits. And um, one thing that I've been dying to ask you personally all week is I look at the attack on um, as far as the public schools, as, as far as when you saw all of those people, all of our allies marching after George Floyd. I saw a whole country come together. It doesn't matter what color you were. And I think since desegregation of, the, um, you know, or, or I'm sorry, Brown versus Board of Education, and finally, you know, desegregating schools, I just think this is also a, an attack on the idea of, you know, students mixing together and realizing that we're, we have more in common than apart than, you know, when they had segregation. I just think this is like also an attack on a, on 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 the civil rights bill itself, on Martin Luther King's dream, you know. And I I just don't understand why, as Democrats, we aren't pointing out that you know, you know, they're not only trying to 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 privatize the schools, which is the worst thing I think possible. I think privatization just makes more oligarchs in this country, if you think about and, it. You know. Yeah, and that's exactly what Republicans want. I mean. I mean, the truth is there is no non-racist way to look at banning black history, calling black history, AP black history studies in schools un-American. There's no more racist idea than that black history is somehow less American than any other history. It's part and parcel to who we are. And you look at at this school, I forget the name of the school that was in Florida that took its students into an assembly and let the white students go back to school and then held the black students, fourth and fifth grade black students, and said, your test scores are low. If you don't improve, you're going to end up dying in gang violence. And hey, if you study hard, we'll give you some Chick-fil-A coupons if you get good grades. And the school had to issue a statement saying, we don't believe in segregation. Well, that's exactly what you did, guys. And it's kind of rich to me to take black kids out of a school by saying they're not studying hard enough and then keep them away from the classroom while their white students get to study. I mean, how is that not the one of the most racist things we've seen in DeSantis's Florida? 
I, I think it's, it's overall the the Civil Rights Act, this Republican Party or the racists in this country have made it a point to dismantle or, or I mean, it's been ongoing since then, I think, as far as deconstructing this this world order where, you know, we have um, where everything is desegregated and they're trying to make it as close back to 1950 as possible as far as segregating and, you know, um, you know, oppressing everyone else that's not white. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal is clear and, and Republicans in in states that are now redistricting and just refusing to acknowledge court orders saying their districts are too racist and saying we don't care what the court says, we're going to keep them. I mean, it is the deconstruction of reconstruction, and it's not particularly subtle. Charles, I appreciate your call. I want to jump to to Marie before we have to get to a break, because I want to hear Marie's thoughts on Brian Kemp. <laughs> it's not just Brian Kemp, it's Georgia politicians in general. Thanks for taking my call, Max. I'll keep it. Absolutely. Um, um, OK, so uh, we may think of Colton Moore as somehow or other being some form of outlier, given what Jeff Duncan had to say or, or vice versa, that Jeff Duncan is the outlier. Don't be confused. At the end of the day, they will all team up. They will all get behind whatever the policy is for the Georgia Republican Party. The reason that I say that is is, is important regarding Brian Kemp is my understanding from uh, Greg Bluestein, who is a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he generally is characterized as reporting from uh, the political left. Um, Bluestein reported that there were um, Kemp operatives who were at the debate, at the Republican debate. Now, you don't spend the money to send somebody to a debate unless you are trying to be in the room to hear the comments among the crowd, to hear how certain, yep. certain policy projections go over with the crowd. I have long suspected, and, and it candidly worries me, that Brian Kemp is planning to jump in late in the race if he sees that there's an opportunity for him because he was able to characterize himself um, as someone who follows the law um, in order to be reelected to his, uh, to his second term. And the problem with that is, yeah, he didn't break the law the way that Donald Trump would ha- had actually asked him to, um, but when you get right down to it, he was willing to go along with the plan and, in fact, did go along with the plan up until the part where it would have required him to break the law and ultimately get his own hands dirty and risk his career. No, I think so, you're, you're absolutely don't be, right. You, don't be confused. <laughs> you are you are absolutely right. I appreciate I appreciate your call. I think that's dead on. I mean, quite honestly, because of how Donald Trump handled Brian Kemp, Democrats have given Brian Kemp a lot more credit than he deserves. I mean, this is the guy who supported the voter suppression laws that banned mobile voting, restricted drop boxes, banned out of precinct provisional ballots, reduced support staff for early voting. I mean, this is the guy who took polling places out of majority black communities while adding polling places to majority white, majority Republican communities. This didn't happen by accident. I mean, Brian Kemp is the is the hero of democracy now. Give me a break. Uh, folks, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back here on High Blood Pressure Wednesday, uh, I'm going to chat next hour with former Tea Party Republican Congressman Joe Walsh about the absolute state of today's GOP and also more of your calls. Don't miss it. We'll be right back after this. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome back to Tell Me Everything Folk. Your humble guest host, Max Burns, here sitting in for John Fugel saying, as you can tell, my blood pressure has gone down. I took a lap during the break. We're always happy to hear from you. Shoot us a call, 866-997-4748, or hit me up on Twitter at TheMaxBurns. Now, we got to have a talk, guys, because I have been reliably informed that more than a few of you fine folks may be indulging in a little of the marijuana while you listen to the show. And whether you're smoking or snacking or vaping or whatever Gen Z's come up with now, here's some exciting news for you. The Department of Health and Human Services has finally completed the study Joe Biden requested last year over whether the feds should do something about marijuana. Now, you may know marijuana is controversially classed as a Schedule I narcotic alongside LSD, heroin, and other big-time serious drugs. Well, that may be changing soon, as the HHS has finally recommended the government reschedule pot down to Schedule Three which is defined as substances with a moderate to low potential for physical and psychological dependence. That news sent weed stocks soaring, as it means a potentially huge new market expansion for Big Green. But this also has a ripple effect way beyond just easier access to pot. The war on drugs has been a wildly destructive generational attack on America's public life, and it's disproportionately jailed black and brown Americans, some of them for their entire lives. Between 2001 and 2010, over 8.2 million people were arrested for marijuana-related crime, and almost 90% of those people were busted for simply having weed on their person. Let's, let's say that again, just for having weed on them. They weren't selling it. They didn't have a gun. They weren't even smoking it in public. They just had it. Right now, at this very moment, there are 40,000 people incarcerated for marijuana-related crimes. 70% of the people jailed for possession, well, they're Hispanic, in a country where white people actually account for the majority of marijuana users. So there's no pretending this is about justice or drug prohibition or whatever nonsense lie Richard Nixon came up with to push his culture war. This is now, and it has always been a war against the low income, the non-white, and the marginalized. And now Joe Biden has a chance to end that historic injustice. Rescheduling marijuana would stand as one of Joe Biden's most impactful social justice actions. 
And let's be real, it would also win him a ton of votes because marijuana consumption in red states is actually higher than in blue states. And honestly, can you blame them? They have to listen to Ron DeSantis all day. I mean, if Biden really wants to drive this point home, he could also take the step of commuting the sentences of some of those federal prisoners spending time in jail for nonviolent marijuana offenses. That hasn't happened so far, even though it's something Biden floated during his campaign and something Democrats have been talking about for decades. And listen, I'm all for the politics of it. I think it's great politics for Democrats. And I'll talk to you all day about how this is a winner that should lead the 2024 conversation. But it's also a key issue where the rubber meets the road for voters. This is one of the reasons voters supported Democrats instead of Republicans, because Republicans want to crack down on marijuana. They want to keep mass incarceration rolling. They want to build private prisons, as Ron DeSantis has done in Florida. And Democrats have said for years that we need to reform these racist laws. But nothing's happened. Now Joe Biden can make good on not just a campaign promise, but a moral imperative to this country for equal justice under law. Now, this, of course, has to go through the DEA. But if Democrats are really serious, now is the time to do it. Not one second more of delay. And once we finish this step in the process, I think it's about time we have a real conversation about restorative justice and how we can help out the people this country sent away for decades for a crime we all knew was bogus from the start. I mean, literally. Richard Nixon's own senior advisors characterized this as saying we can't make black people illegal, but we can make marijuana illegal and say that black people do it. And that's how we ended up with a mass incarceration state where black Americans are disproportionately in prison. Now, doing this is how you build an electoral coalition that lasts more than one campaign cycle. That's how you govern with responsibility and with a commitment to equity for everyone. And all Joe Biden needs to do is actually do it. Well, I guess that that's your sermon on marijuana today, but we have more good news coming down the pipe because it looks like our buddy Rudy Giuliani is about to have even more trouble coming his way because Donald Trump's former legal fixer was just found liable for defamation after being sued by two Georgia election workers who claim that Giuliani made up a bunch of claims about them falsifying the election. Now, you might think Republicans are getting pretty familiar with defamation. Donald Trump defamed the woman that he sexually assaulted, E. Jean Carroll. Fox News defamed Dominion voting systems, had to pay nearly a billion dollars. Now it is former Mayor Rudy's turn. Now, those bogus claims Rudy made led Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss to face down death threats from the MAGA right, they were harassed constantly. They described in court living a, quote, nightmare of hatred against their friends and their family. Shea and Moss literally had to hide out for months away from their home to avoid constant MAGA threats against their life. And as we see from Georgia, these are people who think civil war is pretty admirable. So it's not very surprising that they would also think threatening election workers is a real plus. Now, this is the exact same case where Rudy Giuliani's lawyers and Giuliani himself straight up admitted he couldn't prove his claims of election fraud made against Freeman and Moss because apparently he forgot how to operate his laptop. But in truth, because his laptop was seized by the FBI for all of the other crimes Rudy Giuliani was doing. Now, I'm, I'm genuinely not kidding. Giuliani said he was struggling to access his electronic records and his laptop 
and he just didn't have the money to comply with the court's order of producing documents. This is the guy who flew to Fulton County on a private jet to turn himself in for arrest. He didn't have the money. All right, whatever. But Judge Beryl Howell saw right through that with this really obvious series of questions to Giuliani. And here's what she said. She said, perhaps Giuliani has made the calculation that his overall litigation risks are minimized by not complying with discovery obligations in this case. So basically, Judge Howell is saying Giuliani would rather take the financial judgment that's going to come against him than provide a bunch of fake and incriminating documents from his laptop that would almost certainly land him in more trouble with Fonnie Willis in his Fulton County case. And the judge was really batting Julie around with a trout here because she said, and this is this is a great quote, Giuliani's claim that he cannot afford to reimburse plaintiffs is dubious. She noted that he was recently able to erase $320,000 of his personal debt and that he has a podcast that he's paid by the listener to produce that he said under oath had over a million listeners. So I guess that money's somewhere. She also mentioned that Giuliani just put his $6.5 million three-bedroom New York apartment on the market. So that should free up some cash. And she mentioned that most starkly here, Giuliani probably derived all this revenue in a way that he intended to not reveal to the court, which makes a strong case for what she called significant damages when it comes to that phase of the trial. She mentioned that with Giuliani's podcast viewership, with the revenue information the court was able to get in spite of old Rudy, and particularly for all of those false statements, that Giuliani purposely and maliciously spread false claims about these plaintiffs to enrich himself, and that that was outrageous conduct that, in her words, would justify a significant award for the plaintiffs. Now, that sounds bad. I'm not a lawyer. That sounds bad. Significant damages, not good. Now, Giuliani told the court he just wasn't going to follow their discovery orders, so he automatically loses that case. Default judgment. As Homer Simpson said, the best two words in English, default. In addition to paying 90000 bucks in attorney's fees to Freeman and Moss, he's also going to have to pay other court fees totaling $130,000. And that's before we even get to the punishment part of this trial. Now, boy, couldn't happen to a nicer guy, right? It'll be interesting to see if Giuliani does any better producing his evidence in the criminal case, which is currently scheduled to begin at the end of October. Now, I want to hear your thoughts on this and everything else. Give us a call, 866-997-4748. And I want to jump to Sean here in California, who, who has some thoughts I strongly agree with on Republicans. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Mr. Burns, I'm doing great. You know, what a great show. And by the way, you are an absolute natural at doing this. So anyway, I, I love it. It's, that is it's very so kind. Fun. I annoyed my parents a lot as a kid doing this, so I'm glad I could do it here. <laughs> yeah, well, so what's on your mind? Outlet. So yeah. the first thing, you know, you were talking about the media, right? And they yep. have an enormous um, corporate media, which your earlier guest said it, it needs to be called, has an enormous influence on people. But they, what they aren't are uh, they don't come out and, and just tell you the truth. What they are, and they've become for the last 15 or 20 years of my life, casino odds makers. They want half of the population to, to listen to it 
for one reason or another, whether Democrats or Republicans, and the other half to listen to it um, because they are Republicans and, and that sort of thing. All they're doing is trying to maximize the amount of people that watch their ads, which is sad because they can just destroy our country doing that. And, and here's another thing. The threat of civil war by Republicans, look, first and foremost, you threaten anything in my country, like saying, don't prosecute that guy for his criminal doings, otherwise we're going to do civil war. That's exactly why we kicked your ass in the civil war. That's exactly why we kicked your ass in the Civil War, because you wanted to keep human beings as slaves to do free labor and treat them like, you know, horrible. Ugh, I, I won't even want to say there. And now you want us to be afraid you're going to do it again if you threaten us? No, we just need to get to the ballot box, Mr. Burns, and kick their ass and never let them in power again, because they've shown they're not responsible Americans with American ideals. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it showcases the the schizophrenia, quite honestly, of the Republican position here. They say lock Hillary Clinton up, put put Hunter Biden, hire seven independent counsels to see if Hunter Biden did anything and put him in jail. But literally, you have Republican officials saying if Donald Trump is convicted, we're going to march down to the jail like the old segregation mobs of old. We're yeah. going to break into the jail and set him free. And my question is always, and what do you think is going to happen next? How far do you think Hello. Donald Trump is going to get out of that jail? Because honestly, some of these Republicans have said they expect Georgia state troopers to help them. And I mean, I've known a lot of police. A lot of police are right wing. I don't know that enough police are that right wing to to just to go into something family. where to ruin their families and also to face the fact that, you know, as these Republicans forget, the United States has predator drones. Like we, we don't need to invest a lot of resources to manage this problem. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right. And, and I'm not sure what the, why they threaten that way. It's, it's like a petulant child who wants the cookie and you said you've had enough cookies. But, um, you know, if I don't get the cookie, I'm going to break everything in the house. Well, that's what Trump did on the way out of I don't even know how we allowed him into the presidency, but he did win that one. And he got in there and then on his way out, he broke everything or was trying to break everything and attempted a coup. I mean, so I don't know what Republican voters are thinking. I've read, read all the polls and all that. And I'm thinking to myself, like you were saying, you know, education is everything. But I don't know. Hear, hear me out for one second. Local news stations in very rural areas, you know, uh, or at least rural counties where they can only see their local news and they don't have all the social media. They don't have the Internet connections, but they listen to terrestrial radio that just bastardizes yep. their brains. And so my thinking is, hey, White House, go live, Zoom, call those local places, the assignment desk, and say, we'll go live with President Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, or, or the press secretary. Go, go to all the people that know how to speak in front of people, but you got to know their personal issues in that county. Don't just do the broad thing so you don't make them 
peel off everything from CNN and MSNBC and Fox boobs. Don't do that. Go and learn their actual, really, the problems that affect their counties. Talk about farms in Boone, Iowa, whatever. But you go there and you say, we're going to be live via Zoom. And I guarantee you, even if they hate Joe Biden right at this point, they'll say, yeah, we'll listen to the guy, the, the president of the United States. You're going to say no when you're assignment yeah. desk with, with all these people not making money with their local news networks. I say, go, let's go to the people. Because I know I watch some of the cable news and all that. And, you know, listeners of this show are, are, are really on it and all that. But that's not the people that we're missing. We're missing too many people. We absolutely are. And, I, Sean, thank you so much for your call. I think you're spot thank on. You. And I want to expand on this a little bit because you're dead right about the media. If you look at local news now, for an hour-long local news section, it's only about 20 minutes of actual local news. And Republicans have seized on this. They have perfected the art of producing these pre-made packages for local news that fills time, and news outlets love that, and it guarantees them engagement. They say, here's something that's really going to rile your viewers up. It's going to get people tuning in, and they don't care if it's true. It's compelling. And in a business that has become so consolidated by hedge funds and corporations, where the main driver is clicks and ads and money, that compelling fake news from the right sells. And there is really no way around it. You have to get into the communities. You have to bring Democrats to the places voters are. We understood this in the 40s with Franklin Roosevelt. That's how we changed America into one of its most progressive periods in history. This is not a fight that can be done from a television studio in Washington, D.C. People have to be met where they are, and they have to be made to feel their concerns are real and they matter. And Joe Biden does a great job of that kind of retail politics, which makes it all the more baffling that he seems to be stuck in the White House with consultants who don't trust him enough to get out and do that kind of retail work. Now, I can feel my blood pressure ticking up again, folks. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'm going to chat with my guest, former Tea Party Republican Congressman Joe Walsh, about the crazy, crazy state of the GOP and so much more. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the show, folks. This is Tell Me Everything with John Fugelsang, and I am Max Burns, sitting in for John all week. And I have a really exciting guest coming up here. I can't wait to dig into the issues. My next guest is a guy with layers. 
Joe Walsh is a former Illinois congressman elected to the House in the Tea Party wave of 2010, where he fought for an unapologetically fiscally conservative agenda. He went on to become one of the most popular conservative talk radio hosts in the country, with his show reaching an absolutely massive national audience. But then came Trump, and Joe was one of the earliest Republican big shots to call out Trump's amorality, his policy incoherence, and his danger to the republic. He quickly became and still is one of the loudest and most fearless critics of not just Trump, but the Republican Party's march into authoritarianism. He currently hosts the podcast White Flag with Joe Walsh, which I was honored to join a few weeks ago. And we're both Illinois boys, so we've already achieved that elusive common ground between left and right. Joe, thanks so much for making time for us tonight. Hey, Max, my friend, good to be with you, brother. Now, I want to start on something I think we might actually see some bipartisanship on. This this HHS decision to recommend rescheduling marijuana from Category 1 to Category 3. Democrats beat this drum for years, but now we see Republicans like Florida's Matt Gates, Senator Rand Paul, all saying this is right, this is a long overdue move. Does this have potential to be a springboard for more bipartisan action in Congress on this? Probably. Uh, well, on this issue, yes. Uh, it probably the bipartisanship probably won't extend beyond this issue. But, Max, if if you if you took a vote in Congress tomorrow on whether we should legalize marijuana completely or not in this country, the vast majority of Democrats and Republicans would agree with that. I, I think it's a great bipartisan long overdue issue. And yet there's still some hostility, I think, in red states to this, even though, as, as I mentioned earlier, red state uh, voters consume marijuana at higher rates than blue state voters. But we see that their lawmakers are really not just opposed to legalization, but they want tougher laws. They want incarceration for possession even stronger. How, how do, do Republicans get that out of touch with what their base is saying they want? Well, it's interesting, Max. You've got again. It's hard to it's hard to kind of really examine where the my former political party is now is at now, because prior to Trump, it really used to be an issue based distinction. I was a Tea Party conservative, and I would always argue with establishment Republicans. But then Trump comes along, and and really the only criteria is where do you stand on Trump. In the party, we still do have this hardcore social conservative wing. It's a minority wing, but it's a very loud wing. And it's a wing that leads a lot of the culture war BS that Republicans really get all animated up about. So, so in a sense, you agree almost with Nikki Haley, who seems to be at the debate saying, Let's drop this culture war stuff. It's an anchor on Republicans. Completely. Um, look, and, and Max, I say this as a reformed culture war warrior. Uh, it, when I was in Congress and when I was on right wing radio, man, I, I would engage in this because it's it's the easiest way to get your audience and voters on the right fired up and pissed off. Talk about race, talk about crime, talk about sex and gender. Um, but but and, and here's the thing, though. Most Americans are much more where I am generally and you are, which is much more libertarian on a lot of the cultural shit stuff. Um, but one of the problems is your party, the Democratic Party, 
I think, cedes the culture war ground to Republicans, and they shouldn't. I think they should engage in the culture war fights. I do. I do agree that there is a hesitancy. Certainly, you you have the squad and the progressive wing of the party that want to step up and defend these trans kids that are being vilified by by quote unquote small government conservatives that want to make them check with the state before they use a nickname. But then you have a Democratic Party where consultants in Washington are urging Joe Biden to stay away from these issues, to not talk about transgender issues, to not talk about the war on LGBT Floridians in Ron DeSantis's Florida. And the only thing I can think is that so many of these lawmakers have served for so long in Congress that they've internalized this Republican pushed myth that talking about social issues is a losing issue for Democrats, even though I, as far as I can tell from polling and from what we've seen in elections, that hasn't been the case for 10 or 12 years. No, my, my former political party, Max, is intolerant. Most Americans are tolerant uh, when it comes to things like gender, sex, race and all the rest. You look at the issue of gender, most Americans the vast majority of Americans embrace, love and embrace anybody, no matter who they are. I mean, we can debate and have interesting conversations when it comes to transgender Americans and how we balance their rights and freedoms uh, when it comes to things like sports and locker rooms and all the rest. And, and I think most Americans are willing to have honest conversations about that. But you've got right now on the right, an animating force, which is transgenderism is evil and it's a sickness. That's not where most Americans are. Democrats need to know that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, since we're on this, this is actually an interesting topic, I think, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, have watched the House Freedom Caucus rise up. And they're literally right now holding the government hostage for another shutdown this December, saying they want the Pentagon to ban abortion support, that they want the military to kick out transgender soldiers, or they'll tank the government and shut it down and tank our credit rating. And a lot of our listeners, I think, might see the Tea Party and the House Freedom Caucus as two different shades of the same animal. And I'm curious how you as a former Tea Party Republican view the emergence of the Freedom Caucus versus what you at least were trying to achieve with the Tea Party. Well, it's Max, it's it's such a great question. It's so, it's so confusing. So I, I got elected. I was part of the Tea Party wave and I was there when the Freedom Caucus began. And again, before Trump, the Tea Party Caucus and the Freedom Caucus were really one and the same. But then Trump comes yep. along and co-ops everything. And these guys in the Freedom Caucus, Max, many of them were my former friends. Most of them were Tea Partiers who claimed to believe in limited government and 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 government uh, and and limited spending and balanced budgets and all the rest. But all of that stuff went out the window when it came to Trump. Once Trump came on the scene, and you you in my mind, Max, you can't be a a, a freedom-loving, Tea Party-believing, limited government guy like I am and support Donald Trump. But the Freedom Caucus has embraced Trump. So I, I'd argue they've abandoned everything they said they believed in before Trump. 
Yeah, the Freedom, the Freedom Caucus is, without a doubt, sort of Trump's paramilitary in Congress. Yes. It, it's it's barely Republican. And and the, you, explicitly to your point, I mean, they one of the values they espouse is loyalty to Trump over the Constitution, that any Constitution that would hold Donald Trump accountable for his crimes is wrong. And these are people who swore that oath. And it, it is interesting to see how so many of these people have split. And now we even see that it's getting a bit much for Ken Buck, who's a Freedom Caucus true believer, but who says now that this push to, to risk shutting down the government, he called it pointless and self-defeating. But now they're now they're saying Ken Buck isn't conservative enough to be in the Freedom Caucus. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's been you're right, Max. It's been radicalized. The, the, the Freedom Caucus has become radicalized and it's now just a Trumpist Trumpist uh, caucus in in. Look, privately, Ken, Ken Buck wants out. He wants out of Congress. He's done with it. He's he's in the minority. I mean, think about this, Max. What did Donald Trump say yesterday? He was on with Glenn Beck, and he said that if he's reelected, he is going to lock up and throw in jail his political opponents. Yep. Trump said that when I when I when I went to Congress ten years ago. Glenn Beck, Max, as you know, he was the darling of the I love the Constitution Tea yep. Party movement. Ten years later, he's laughing with a pre a former president who says he'll lock up his political opponents. They're gone. And and the scary thing is, I think a lot of Republicans, much much like revolutionary France, I think a lot of Republicans in this MAGA group see that and they think, well, Donald Trump's going to lock up his Democratic political opponents. He never said Democratic alone. No. He's talking about anyone who's disloyal to him. If you're just joining us, this is Tell Me Everything. And my guest is former Tea Party Republican Congressman Joe Walsh. We're talking about the many ways Congress has changed since the 2010s. Now, I'm, I'm really curious, by the time you left Congress, having seen the sausage being made, did you feel disillusioned at all about the narrative of the Tea Party versus how things played out once you all got there? A, a little bit, Max, but I, I got there as I, I wasn't a young kid. And so I got there and I wanted to get stuff done right away. You know, because you know how Washington works. I got elected with a bunch of people younger than I was. Yep. And they got a, a lot of so-called Tea Party people and they got caught up in the lights and the glitter and the lobbyists and all the rest. But I found out in about one afternoon that Republicans like Democrats, both parties really weren't serious about cutting government spending. So we Tea Party people, Max, we didn't deliver anything, which I think is a big reason why so many of the Tea Party voters out there became disillusioned because we didn't do what we promised to do. And then by the time Trump came along, Max, he tapped into some of the uglier aspects of the Tea Party movement that had nothing to do with government spending. I think that's that's I think a really astute point is that we I think in a sense we overanalyze 2016. We look at why did Donald Trump win these labor Democrats? Why did he activate all these first time voters? And it really is. It's a mix of I mean his unfettered racist appeals to them, and also to that sense of isolation that he was the first guy in a while who actually said both of these sides are full of it. And we need to kick them both out. And now he's moved that on to its next logical step of let's just put them in jail and then there won't be anybody to get in the way of what we want to do. Look, you uh, I think you'd agree with me. Maybe not. I, we live in a populist moment. 
very uh, much in history. Yeah. And, and and I I don't unlike a lot of my colleagues, I don't view populism as always bad. I think populism can be good or bad. Um, uh, and you go back to 16, Bernie Sanders was a lot like this. Bernie and Trump both came from outside the system and said the two-party system was broken. We need to kind of blow it up and start anew and reform. There's great appeal in that. Um, Trump turned out to be an evil populist, an evil demagogue, but but we're still in that populist moment, and dissatisfaction with both parties is still there. I, I think the the only difference there is Donald Trump. I think wants to use real explosives at this point. I yes. mean, he's just this is not just an anti Democrat party in the Republicans. It's not just a party with grievance about January sixth. Republicans' beef now seems to be with democracy itself. That the Constitution doesn't legally allow them to do what they want to do. So it's time for the Constitution to go. And that, I mean, even at the extremes of the Tea Party, I never heard Tea Party Republicans saying, let's just invalidate the 14th Amendment so it's not in our way. I mean, that is a profoundly dangerous and frightening thing to think that a president and a caucus is agreeing with. The uh, the base, Max, of one of our two major political parties has become fully radicalized. Remember, I come from the base. I voted for Trump in 16. Trump's supporters were my supporters. I still engage with these people every day. Max, you just nailed it. They want their America back. This is what they tell me. And they no longer believe the normal democratic process can get them their America back, which is why they want an authoritarian, a strong man to get it back for them. I mean, it's it's absolutely terrifying. Now, if you could go back to the time you were in Congress, and I, I hate to wish that on anybody, <laughs> would you would you do it all the same? Or are there things you look back on and think, man, I, I wish I'd spent more time on this, or I wish I'd known this would become such a an explosive thing down the road? I would have done two things differently, Max. I went there to raise hell. I I I I went after both parties. I was pissed off at both parties. I wanted to get stuff done. Um, I was a man in a hurry. I wouldn't take any of that back. But in my drive to get stuff done, you know, I said a bunch of things that I regret that I've publicly apologized for over the years. I wish I could have some of those back. My other regret, Max, is I was of the Tea Party. And even though the Tea Party to me was all about government spending, I heard a lot of the uglier aspects of the Tea Party when talking to folks back then. And I wish I had been more attuned to it. And I wish I had addressed some of those uglier aspects back then. That's well, honestly a level of self-awareness that'll get you jailed by Donald Trump if he wins in 2024. <laughs> On your podcast, which, which I highly recommend, you're actively seeking out conversations with people who don't agree with you. You actually tell your guests, what can we disagree on? At, at, but it's not a shout fest or some kind of Fox News sensational thing. You're actually talking about policy and trying to get to solutions that are consensus positions. And I'm curious, what has surprised you most in your conversations and, and where have you surprised yourself? Well, and, and Max, I do this because let's be honest, I was an extremely divisive figure prior to Trump. I helped bring us Trump. I've helped create this divide in this country. It's I'm trying to make up for it with my podcast. 
Um, I, I have no interest in sitting down with people who think like me. I'm a never Trumper. I don't want to talk to other never Trumpers. That would be so damn boring. Um, what I found most surprising is not that we can find common ground. You and I would sit down and talk about an issue. We may ultimately not agree on the issue. But what I what I always find cool and interesting is I can un, I can 45 minutes with you. I can understand why you think the way you do about that issue. And I find that to be so helpful. I think if Americans understood why the other side thinks the way they do, what's important to them, I think that's a big step. That would be. I mean, this is, and we're talking about the the majority, and it's important to remember that the majority of America is not MAGA. This is a very small and very dangerous group of people. But with with MAGA, we see that it's not about bipartisanship. It's about domination. And we now see this polling out showing that people who support Donald Trump trust him more than their own family, more than their pastor, more than the courts, more than the police, more than the media, and more than the GOP that criticized Trump. We've seen cult deprogrammers who have worked in Jonestown say these are some of the toughest people to crack they've ever seen and bring them back to sanity. So how is there a way we can engage with these people? Or is it just that the reality is we now just have to beat them at the ballot box until they are finally dissolved? It, it, Max, it's both. Um, uh, you can't engage with them. Uh, Joy Reid on MSNBC can't engage with them. I come from their world. So someone like me can engage with them. I think broadly speaking, our, our goal as a country is to defeat them, period. But I talk to them every day. I talk to them every week. I can't move most of them. But every week, I get some of them to move. And and what I find is helpful, Max, is just repeatedly putting little nuggets of truth in front of them, just repeatedly. And eventually, with some of them, the light bulb does go off. But look the vast majority are are not going to be reached. I can't deny that. So I, I, it is interesting. It's like our caller mentioned earlier. It is something that you cannot do from a soundstage in D.C. You have to get out to where people are and actually connect with them, often face-to-face. -face. And it's it's something we don't see a whole lot of. And, and it's something I think that, quite frankly, is a Democratic missed opportunity because the message is there. And most of these Democratic lawmakers, most People in most districts like their lawmaker, even if they don't necessarily agree with them. But what they're not seeing is enough of them. And I, I'm curious, what, how, how are you facilitating these conversations outside of the podcast? Well, I, I, I speak with them directly. I message with them directly. Um, I'll go out and sit down with them directly. I, again, Max, I have a built-in advantage because I come from their world. So even though many of them consider me to be an outcast and a traitor, um, they are my supporters and my followers. So I will typically either speak to them on the phone after we've exchanged messages, or I'll sit and meet with them. Um, because I think it's, look, partly this is my penance because I helped to create this, but, but I also do really think it's important to get with them. I don't want to write off an entire segment of the country. But Max, the other point I'd make is even beyond MAGA, this is a divided country. 
I, I mean, just look at an issue like guns. It's like we live in two different worlds when it comes yep. to the issue of guns in this country. And you could find that with a whole host of issues. No, it's absolutely true. And I, I'm really curious to get your take on some of this recent news here. When you were you were just leaving Congress as Mark Meadows came in, I don't know if you guys ever really interacted much, but I'm curious what it says to you about the GOP shift that so many people who came in right after you are now entangled in one of the biggest efforts to overturn democracy in our lifetime. I mean, clearly the biggest. I, I knew Mark Meadows pretty well. We we did interact and we stayed fairly close until I turned against Trump. Um, it doesn't surprise me about Meadows at all. Uh, he was bored being a congressman and he sold his soul. He wanted to be cr- close to power. But Max, it's it's uh, my former party is, in fact, a cult. And so many people have said that. And it's true. And so many of my four, and I'm not just talking about the voters out there. So many of my former colleagues in Congress have willingly become cult members. We assume too much that most of my former colleagues are lying when they publicly praise Trump. There are more true believers in Congress than people know. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is not some isolated Republican in that body. No, and she's now the right hand of Kevin McCarthy. I mean, in most cases now, Kevin McCarthy has just ceded nominations and appointments to her. I mean, he seems to recognize that he may be the speaker, but it's Marjorie Taylor Greene's voice that's moving votes. And that, to me, seems like a really almost clever way to avoid accountability because Kevin McCarthy can now play you know, the 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 more establishment Republican, well, just offloading all of the really MAGA stuff to Marjorie Taylor Greene to do. He's the speaker. Uh, I know McCarthy. I know him well. He has no core. I mean, no philosophical core. His his only quest in life is power. He got it. He wanted to become speaker and he sold every inch of his body to do that. And and everything they're doing now, Max, uh, like like wanting to impeach Biden for no reason. Uh, McCarthy has to do that because Trump and Marjorie and the rest are demanding it. But these actions, Max, rightly are going to lose. Republicans will lose the House because of it. I did. I probably shouldn't find it funny, but I did find it humorous that Lauren Boebert said, we need to impeach Joe Biden. We don't have time for an impeachment investigation. Let's yeah. impeach him now and do the investigation later. I mean, we are far beyond normal. And and speaking of Joe, Biden is is clearly all in on 2024. He's going out there. He's swinging on abortion. He's talking about infrastructure jobs. He's bringing in unions front and center again. If you had Joe Biden's ear, what would you tell him voters you talk to want to hear from their president? Well, I'll tell you what, Max, I would I would tell him to to make a, a hell of a, a better effort to really get in front of and engage working class Americans, white, black, and brown. Uh, I, I'm not a Democrat, but I fear for the Democratic Party. My former party, the Republican Party, is shrinking. The only thing that can save the Republican Party is a Democratic Party that is out of touch, out of touch with where regular working class Americans are. I, I would just implore Biden to get with them, talk to them, engage them, energize them. Well, I, I certainly agree with that. I hope he takes that advice and gets out there and barnstorms. It's, it's what he's best at. 
Uh, Joe, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, I wish we had another hour to keep rolling on this, but we are almost at the end of our time. In the minute or so we have left, let our audience know at home where they can find you, what you're up to next, and how they can help. Well, I'm a fan of what you do, Max. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me on. Love talking to you. Uh, Look, if you tweet, follow me on Twitter at Walsh Freedom. I do have a podcast. It's called White Flag with Joe Walsh. Every week I sit down with somebody who disagrees with me. Uh, Find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm I'm out there and I'm on TV and just all of us right now. It doesn't matter where we are policy-wise right now, Max Burns and Joe Walsh are locking arms to defend democracy. That's what we have to do for the next 14 months. We're doing our best, and I wish you the best, my friend. Thanks, Max. 